So um, let's pray, then we'll get into the sermon. So Father, help us settle in. Um, help us rest in your presence. But do a work in us today, Father. Open up our ears to you, our minds to you, our hearts to you, Father. Help us be transformed by the renewing of our minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. So during Corona, there's been a lot of things on Facebook, right? I do think that the church has been oversaturated with things to watch that what I've recognized is because there's so much material, it's like you're so overwhelmed that you'll log in, you'll watch five minutes, and then you'll tune out. And people are producing so much material that really um, we're just not paying attention. So I did see an ad the other day for one of the churches who is trying to promote what they're doing within the area. So... um, a church, uh, yeah, so they're trying to let us know that this is why they're a good church to choose. And, and here's what I say. I'm excited with every church that grows that's preaching Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, that a sin is a sin, that um, he died on the cross and he rose three days let, later, right? So if that church is growing and, and that's what you're preaching, then I'm like, yes. But if you're not preaching that, then I'm like, oh, man. I'm not sure what this church is preaching, but here's what they were saying. They're okay to have 25 less commitments. They only ask that you give 7.5% tithe. They're only going to present to you 15-minute sermons, um, a total of 45 minutes for the whole service. And how many of you guys are excited about these already? I don't know why I'm sharing this with you because you might, you might leave this church. They only, they only have eight commandments and you get to pick which ones you want. They only have three spiritual laws, not four. It's everything you want in the church and less. Now, of course, this is a joke. <laughs> but when we start talking seven and a half percent tithe, when we start talking justifying of the commandments, when we start talking about a service that is 45 minutes total, you guys started to get a little bit excited, didn't you? Right? The church has certainly, without a doubt, moved from commitment to comfort. Do you guys recognize that? Do you recognize that within your own heart? That, that, that there's this struggle of, I'm committed, I'm disciplined, I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna be about Jesus' business to, it wasn't very convenient for me this week. I didn't wanna be committed. Anyone else have that struggle or am I the only one? Thank you. I want to move to commitment once again as a church community. 
we're seemingly missing out on the heart, the disciplines. And James is arguing that we, or many people, might not have real faith. Now, again, I cannot preach the whole Bible within one sermon, right? It can't happen. So we're looking at what James is saying. Not necessarily what Paul's saying, but what James is saying. So, is James and Paul saying something different? Are they arguing? Are, is, is there a contradiction within Scripture with James and Paul? And I would say, no, there's not. What I see when I understand Scripture and as I grow in Scripture is they actually build upon one another. Paul says one thing, and James adds to it. As we read Paul's writings, we see a lot of Paul focusing on a person getting saved. How do, we, how do we get this person saved? How do we help them become a Christian? How do we help them know about who Jesus is? Now, that's not all that Paul talks about, but that's what I read a lot of. Even as we went through Acts, what did we see a lot of what Paul was saying? He was personalizing his sermons each place that he went so that people would come to faith in Christ. Now, with James, what's James talked to us about ever since? about how we live our life after we get saved. That's what James is telling us, how Christians need to be living. So I really think that they've been working hand in hand, right? That they've been working together. So if we just take Paul's writings and just live in Paul's writings, then we're missing what James is saying. So we need to mash them all together. I said, I said this several weeks ago, that there seems to be a tendency as a church to get people saved and then leave them there, right? And as believers, what's subconsciously taught to us or assumed by us is the pinnacle of my faith is just to get saved. Does anyone else ever feel that way, that, that that's kind of the way you grew up in church, is it's, it's like, I need to get saved and that's about it? I probably just didn't have ears to hear. I didn't have a heart to receive. But that's kind of the way, like that was the pinnacle. When I gave my life to Christ and then I got baptized and that was just like, now what? Like, oh cool, like I've done the most exciting things or the best things that there are. And now look, salvation is paramount. Actually, the most important piece of your spiritual walk because what good is it to have works? without knowing Christ and then going to hell, right? Or as scripture says, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? So salvation is important. I mean, paramount. But James is arguing and James is encouraging us, you can't stop there. But there's a tendency within our nature to want to stop there We're new creations, we're loved by God, we've been set free, now we follow him as Lord and Savior. And it's all good, right? But taking it a step further. Now as we start the scripture today, James is going to talk about faith. And clearly, to many of us, faith has a different meaning. Even within the church, Faith means something different. 
So what do we know in just a few verses of what faith means? Or when is faith mentioned within scripture? We know in Ephesians 2, verse eight and nine, that we are saved by faith, right? Not by works, but we're saved by faith. We know in 2 Corinthians, um, we walk by faith, not by sight. We know in Hebrews 11, that it is impossible to please God without faith. And we know in Romans 14, that everything that does not come from faith is sin. Many people don't think about faith in that manner. And that's Romans 14, 23. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. So what is faith? Faith isn't something we have to muster up more of. And people have always asked, well, if you just had more faith to pray for this person, they would have gotten healed. Or if you just would have had more faith in God when you prayed, you would have got that check. And I'm like, wait a second, what is, what, what is real faith? Faith is trusting that I can't do it, but God can, and I'm gonna trust his timing. So I had enough faith when I prayed. Whenever I pray and I genuinely tell God that I can't do it, but he can, and I trust him, that's enough faith, then I just have to trust that he's gonna do whatever he wants, right? It's not about conjuring up, it's not about hooting and hollering. Now maybe you can hoot and holler. Your expression is gonna look a whole lot different than mine. Some people, when they open up Christmas presents, they get really excited, right? And that's their expression of excitement. When I open up a Christmas present, I open it up and I'm like, great, just what I wanted, thank you. That's my response. <laughs> it's what I wanted, I like it. But you're not gonna get tears, you're not gonna get me hooting and hollering, you're not gonna see me running around the house. Great, I like it, thank you. <laughs> what else do you want from me? So look, so you don't get offended if you ever get me a gift, just tell me to open it up later. Just, just do it, because you're never gonna wanna get me something ever again. <laughs> thank you, I really like it. We have different expressions of our faith. Some people hoot and holler, other people are just, in Jesus' name I pray, and God hears both. And that's certainly a, um, a trail. Faith is simply trusting God is real, his word is true, and we live obedient lives. It often feels like people think that faith is hoping for something without any kind of proof. And what if I were to say this, that faith is obedient, obedience when it's not convenient. Do you see the faith in that statement? Faith is obedience when it's not convenient. So we see a generation that is passionate to the point of convenience. We see a generation of young people, of older people that, that are really, really, really passionate about who Jesus is and what the church is doing. And then what ends up happening is it gets hard and then they don't press in anymore. Faith means you continue to press in. So when faith, there is trust that moves the believer past the point of what is um, easy or preferred. Not just faith um, that stays put. Faith has an action. Faith is proven or solidified by your actions, not by your words. Many of you guys have heard the parachute illustration, right? You say, oh yeah, 
I have faith in the, the parachute. I trust the parachute. But you don't jump out of the plane. Faith and belief in the parachute then means you jump out of the plane and when you pull it, you believe it's going to work. Faith in Christ is just not faith that is words. Faith in Christ is an action. So I have a couple questions for you this morning. What kind of faith does someone saved possess? What does it mean for faith to be dead? And do good works have to be completed to be saved? And the immediate answer to that one is no. If good works had to be completed to be saved, um, or if I said that, then I'd be contradicting scripture. But I do think we have to investigate that a little bit more. And maybe someone in here thinks that a legalistic message is coming. Anyone sensing that? Um, and I would say it's not. But how can, we ha uh, how can we know if we are living out a true living faith? Like, how miserable is it going to be for some people who think that they're living out a faith for Christ and they've done the works and they get to heaven and Christ says, away from me, I never knew you. How can we know if we're living out with the true saving faith? And I'll tell you this, if it's not a little weird within the room right now, you're not listening. Anyone a little weird? Is it a little weird right now? I hope it is. So point one today, and next week's gonna be important to, to finish this chapter up, so, so tune in next week as well. But point one, we can't claim faith without action. James chapter two, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if anyone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So faith shows up 10 times, or over 10 times in this passage, and eight of them are used in connection with a person who claims to have faith but no deeds. That's kind of scary. Who claims to have faith but has no deeds. The message of this scripture is that this person doesn't really have faith. He claims to have it but he is dead. Understanding this is important because James is not talking about someone who has immature faith with someone who has mature faith or someone who has small faith with large faith. James is talking about someone who claims to have faith but has no deeds. Let's pray. Father, um, ask that you would lead us through this sermon, that we would be very present in every word that's being shared, Father. Not critical, not frustrated, just focusing in to hear your words. In Jesus' name, amen. We cannot claim to have faith without deeds, without works. 
That's a hard statement because I don't know about you guys. Most of most Christians that I see or live with, don't hear judgment here. I'm not talking about what, what you're praying in your private life. I'm not talking about the, the family members that you love. I'm just talking about in general, the general sense, and I think scripture would back it because many people live on the wide road and enter through the open gate. So I'm not being judgmental or critical, but what I am saying is a lot of Christ, there's gonna be a lot of people who claim to have faith and then they justify the lack of their actions and then they get to see God one day and he says, I never knew you. We're gonna get there. We can't claim faith without actions. Let's move on from there, point two. There will be people who claim faith up to facing Jesus, but have none. You guys remember my favorite scripture? Where's it at? Matthew 7. Um, if you guys haven't heard that enough and don't know that that's one of my favorite scriptures, I'm gonna keep on sharing it because I love, I love that chapter. But there are people in Matthew 7 who think that they have faith, right? They think that they have faith that can save them, yet, when they meet God, they don't. So today, instead of verses 13 and 14 in Matthew 7, we just want to look at um, verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21 says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, not everyone who's, who calls on the name of Jesus will enter, the heaven, will enter heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. So what about the man on the cross, right? And this is where it gets complicated. Jesus, what, what did he do for Jesus? Well, he identified with Jesus. He identified with Jesus in that moment. He, he recognized who Jesus was and never really had any works then. But now as we read back to his story, think about how many people have been saved because of his story, right? Giving his life to Christ at the last moment. So he didn't have works. His only work was at that point to identify with Christ in that moment. But why we wanna hit James is we just don't wanna be Christians who who talk about living it, but not. There are people who will say that they have faith, but simply don't. Faith still has an action. Whoever does the will of my Father. I believe that James is telling us that real faith produces fruit. So he's warning us that if there is no fruit, that there's not saving faith. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 says, every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut off and thrown into fire. So we recognize people by their fruits, right? What fruits are you producing? What fruits are coming out of your life? And what I'm not saying is that all of us are gonna be Billy Graham. I'm not even the one to determine where or how you're supposed to do that. Some of us God, God has called to our families. Some of us, God has called to our communities. But in every moment, God has called us to represent him everywhere that we are, right? I want to be ex extremely clear about this, so listen in. 
the starting point of your faith cannot and will not ever be works. Don't hear that. Your salvation is not about works. It's all about faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Yet, I'll say this in that same lesson very clearly. Your Christian walk is about works. You're like, what do you mean it's about works? I'm not saying you earn it. But what I am saying is works, meaning honoring the Father in everything that you do. That's works. Honor him. Honor Jesus in the things that you do. Faith got me that relationship. Trust in Jesus creates that intimacy. Now, because of that intimacy, I'm going to choose each day to honor him with works and deeds. Works and deeds does not mean that I drag Jesus along and say, well, I'm going to just give to this 501c3, or I'm going to help this charity, or I'm going to serve this homeless shelter. It's just not this this checklist of things that you feel like you're supposed to do. Faith and deeds come with a humble heart before Christ that says, where do you want to lead me today? And then you do it. Obedience. David Platt says this, acts of mercy or works and deeds are not the means to salvation. Acts and mercy Acts of mercy are evidence of salvation. Works and deeds do not save you, but they are part of a life that is saved. As we continue, James is going to give us real life examples of what that will look like. Point number three, talking is different than action. And if you've been married for anything longer than six months, you know that. Talking is different than action. Verse 15, James chapter two. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? How many people have I passed that I know are in need? I can't fix the world's problems. But how about this? Financially, how about, I'll, I'll say a better way. Financially, I can't fix everyone's problem. But why is it that our minds conv- convinced us and our hearts have convinced us that the only thing that someone needs is money? Slow down and have compassion on someone. Slow down and ask them if they, they need their car jumped. Slow down and ask someone if they, you just need to pray for them. Have mercy on someone rather than just getting home to watch the Reds lose or the Bengals get skunked or the people always talk about the Browns being good. They literally have an all-star team and they still can't win. I'm just being honest, Jonathan. And for some reason, the Wolves want to move closer to the Browns. (laughs) That's how messed up our mind is, Andrew. What, what, what good is it? It breaks my heart to th- because a real life scenario for me, I'll see someone that looks like they're in need and then I'll say, God, make it clear to me. Make it clear to me that I need to go help them. No, I think what James is, is saying is 
we should walk in such a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and know that the mercy and know that the grace that he's poured into our life, that when we see someone else in need, that we're just willing to give that same compassion. Because a saving faith, a new creation, scripture talks about you and I who've put our faith in Jesus Christ, who rose from the grave, right? That we are new creation, so how with the living God inside of us not show mercy and grace on someone in need? And even last week, or even show favoritism. We so often see needs within the world, and the first response is, who can I find to help? Have you guys ever got those phone calls? I don't know if you have. But in this, in this position that God has put me in, what usually happens is someone will be like, hey, Pastor Joey, I'm in Urbana right now, and I see a homeless person sitting at the Dollar General. Do you think that you could go over and help them? No, they'll probably be gone by the time I get there. Or they say, hey, Pastor Joey, I, I hear about this need within the community. Um, do you think that you could, you could put together a 5K so you could help, help meet some of their financial needs? One of our first responses is never about what can I do. It's usually about who can I get to do what I feel responsible to do, right? Anyone ever done that? I've done that. And what James is telling us is a person who is of faith will have those works within their life where they're just not calling someone else to do what they're called to do. What they're doing is living it out. Now, for critical people, you're like, but sometimes calling the church is what I'm supposed to do. And I would say, yes, that's clear. Sometimes all you can do is call the church. But if that's always your first response, here, here's my question, did you sit down and pray with them? Did you sit down and hear their heart? Did you sit down and love them? Did you offer them a meal? Or did you just say, I saw a homeless person on the side of the road and I didn't wanna to talk to them, so the only thing that I could do is call the church and let them know about the need? Am I willing to sacrifice to help people's needs? As we read the Bible, don't you see that God has asked us to help and meet the needs of people? So if we turn to Galatians 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, opportunity is a key word here, right? Let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Opportunity can be so ambiguous to us, right? Because when I think of opportunity, it's like, well, after the Buckeye game, and then after the Buckeye game, um, after everyone leaves the party, and then after everyone leaves the party, then, then I have to clean up. So Saturday's basically wasted. And then Sunday after church, I have to go home and I have to mow. And then I live in a petty community, so I have to edge. Because if you don't edge, all the retired people are gonna walk through and you'll see them out and gossiping about you and, and these young whippersnappers just don't keep things nice while their dog poops in my yard. I got you on, Fred, I got you on my camera that Macy bought me for Christmas. 
So opportunity to us simply means, God, when I have time, when I'm done with my things. See, we keep on saying, God, where's my opportunity? Where's my opportunity? Where's my opportunity? Where's my opportunity? But yet what we end up doing is we keep on spending our opportunity on us rather than saying, God, I'm going to follow you today. And if you want to see the opportunity of loving the least of these or loving people who are in need, then say, God, I'm going to follow you today, and I guarantee you something will happen. See, because when you start working through God's lens, you begin to see the world differently rather than your lens. And here's how. When I'm living by my agenda and I see someone on the side of the street, they're just an inconvenience to me getting my grass mowed. Right? But when I'm living through Christ's lens as a person who's sent and saved and born again, I see that person who God sent me to. And the grass will get mowed one day even if it's in eternity. opportunities or the idea of opportunity has been deceiving the church for a long time. It means when I'm ready, when my time allows, when God really makes it clear, and yet we only find those things once a year. But when I read scripture, I see that there is an endless opportunity that God has called us to walk into because his agenda should be our agenda, not us fitting him into ours. Matthew 9, if you guys um, remember what's there, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, so what does that tell us? The opportunity is abundant. The harvest is plentiful. Opportunity. Matthew 25, verse 37. This is talking about opportunity right here. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did, you see, uh, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you've done for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done for me opportunity. So, so the tone that I hear in this is, Jesus, if I saw you in need, I would have done it. Well, certainly you would have, because we all show favoritism, which we learned last week. Of course you would have shown favoritism to Jesus. Where were you, Jesus? I would have done it. And he says, but whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. The opportunities are there right now to serve Jesus. The opportunity's there, so why are we not taking advantage of the opportunity? And what James is saying is, look, a person of faith with the opportunity so abundant who are never taking advantage of them might not have a saving faith. Does your life show you, reveal to the world that you have a saving faith? The problem isn't an opportunity problem. The problem is an action problem. What James is getting at in James verses, uh, 2 verses 15 and 16 is as believers we are called to a higher standard that our actions illustrate and profess the character of God. Our actions demonstrate our faith. Where is their power in our testimony to pass someone, 
yet come and praise God on Sunday morning when there's someone in need. Imagine that homeless person that you passed up, that you didn't have any spare change for, and, and here's the thing, I say this carefully, I say this honestly, I wrestle through it myself. Every time I don't trust giving $10 to someone who's in need means that I don't trust God. That's what that means. It's not that I need the money, it's that I just simply don't trust that God's gonna give that $10 back, right? We're not getting into enabling, we're not getting into those things. All I'm saying is me holding on to my resources simply means that I don't trust God. Now, we're not getting into stewardship either. Another day, another dollar. You like that, Bob? Our actions demonstrate our faith. Let's move on. Chapter two, verse 16. If any one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? So if we tell someone who is in need to go in peace, what does it say about the love of God? You got $5 in your pocket and you're getting ready to go to Starbucks. And you're not even gonna use the $5 in your pocket, you're gonna use your credit card that you got, that you're sitting on 10 grand on, right? You got someone in need and you say, I don't have any money for you but what I do have is prayer. Go in peace, be well fed, stay warm brother, in Jesus name, amen. I've done it, I don't wanna do it anymore. See there was, what that really is is guess what, lip service. Lip service, go in need brother, be well fed, and, and what we see is the, what, what James is saying is, is this sounds like a Christian. This sounds like a Christian who would be saying this. Go in peace, keep warm and well fed. So you know the Christian language, you know Christianese, you know how to sound righteous. You know how to speak and play the part. Lip service does no good. So what we see in the scriptures that was, there was someone with Christian vocabulary but not the Christian heart. There was no real commitment. We can talk about worship, we can talk about prayer and action and discipleship and fasting and testimony, but yet there isn't any action. Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed. This is Christianese that I'm talking about. The person was cold, the person was hungry, and the believer used the right words to leave them there still sitting cold and hungry. What good was it? One of the words, sorry, one of the things that we do well as people is replace words with actions. Shared this before when I was in high school. I was clocked two times at running a 4440 really fast. You see that on the NBA combine. And I did NBA, NFL. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. NBA combine running 40 yard dashes. <laughs> what good is that? Either way. 
So they did that in the uh, NFL combine. And then I did uh, 225 pounds 18 times, right? And I'm like, man, these are combine numbers. So you know what I convinced myself of? My words said, you're an NFL athlete. You're as good as these guys. Not a chance. Zero percent chance. But my words, my arrogance, my words convinced me of something. Anyone ever convinced yourself of something that's not really real? See, the church, whether it's our church, whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's the global church, generally speaking, because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, the church has convinced themselves by their words that they're living into action when in reality they're not. That's a tough reality, isn't it? One author, one author says it this way, that um, people with dead faith substitute words for authenticating deeds. I'm gonna say that one more time. That's a heavy statement. People with dead faith substitute words for authenticating deeds. First John 3. No, I'm going to go back there. This is why sometimes when I'm up here and I get passionate about prayer and, and people doing things or not doing things, and I'm like, and I use such a horrible term. No one said anything to me about it, but you can kind of sense where people are. And I say this, I say, shut up, quit talking, and start praying. And peop, people are like, they get stuck on shut up. He just, I can't believe he, he said shut up. And you, and you get stuck there like, well, who are you to tell me to shut up? You don't know what I'm doing. Well, listen to the rest. This is why I get so passionate about that. And if the worst thing I ever say, shut up, things are pretty good, right? Is crap worse than shut up? Just asking. <laughs> I don't know. It's not. When I say those things, here's, here's what I'm looking at. I'm, I'm tired of seeing a nation authenticate their faith by their words rather, rather than their actions. And I see a nation who's talking and yammering away about things and, and how we're going to fix the world when I, when I don't see a nation praying. Hypothetically, I asked this church right now, I said, how many of you, no, let's, let's do a little social experiment. How many of you guys would like to see, how many of you guys would like to see our nation set on fire for Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Keep those hands raised. Okay, how many guys are willing to be here Monday through Friday before you go to work to pray? A couple. Now, now, even serious question. How about this? How many of you guys are willing to come one day this week before you go to work and pray? All right, then, then we're going to figure this out. If you're serious, we're going to figure it out. It's easy to come one week. What about the next week? Catherine's amening back there. Thank you, girl. Preach. See, 
What we do is we use our words and we put them on Facebook. This matters and 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 we think that our signs are changing the world when they're doing nothing. What's gonna do something is, if you're not a believer, then I don't have anything to say to you. Like, you can put your sign up and think that that's bringing change, but I, I don't believe that putting a, a sign up is bringing change. What I, what I put faith in is that Jesus Christ is the only one that can change this nation. And if I believe that that's what can change this nation and change our communities, then I better be praying. I can't just use my words to authenticate my faith. Right? And I don't want you guys to use your words and to be deceived by using your words to authenticate your faith. I want you to walk in the true intimacy of knowing Jesus, of trusting Jesus, of putting that faith into action. Now we're going to 1 John 3, we're wrapping up. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Do you guys ever read that and get convicted by that? If anyone has material possessions, if you have things and I have things and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with our words or speech but with action and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So when you go to sleep at night, this is how you can rest and be at peace. Right here. Within the context of this sermon today. Let us not love with our words or speech, but with action and in truth. This is God's word. He wants to bring life to us. He wants us to understand the scripture today so that we can evaluate whether we really have a saving faith or not. Getting saved is not an emotional moment in tears. Getting saved is not um, just this unique experience that you had or growing up and you were raised in the church. Getting saved has become a new becoming a new creation and Jesus Christ living in you. And you know what? Um, as you love, with wor- uh, not with words or speech, but by action and truth, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we can be at peace at night. And here's what's really unique is we're gonna finish with this story uh, out of Luke 10. The Good Samaritan. Many of you are familiar with it. But what's unique about it is you just have the common folk who does the loving. So in reply, verse 30, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to uh, Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest a priest, so a pastor, or within the context of us, how about we just say a believer in Jesus Christ was going down the same road, and we, when he saw the man, he had passed on the other side. 
You want to know how many people make eye contact with me at Walmart and they're like, oh, the Jesus talk's coming, and then they just disappear, right? How about this? <laughs> you know how many of y'all I've seen at Walmart? <laughs> Look, I'm just gonna be honest with you. And I'm like, I ain't got four hours. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I don't care that we're on toilet paper reserve. I'm just gonna have to take more showers this week. <laughs> right? Any of you guys ever done that? You've seen someone, you've seen a need, and because you've seen the need or seen the person, you've gone the other way. And if you haven't said you do, you're lying. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. Imagine. Look, there's people in here who are hurting today. There's people in here who have dealt with depression and a lot of sin in their life. And guess what Jesus did? Jesus, when you were sitting there, Jesus, when you were sitting there in your sin, in your mess that was sending you to hell, he had compassion on you. He stopped for you. And then when you rebel some more, guess what he's doing? He's waiting for you with the fattened calf. Jesus had compassion on you. And dare I say this, that homeless person or that addict's sin against you pales in comparison to your sin against Christ. So the gap between you and that homeless person might be this way, but the gap between your sin of dishonoring your parent when you were five years old is eternities worse than that sin that that person's committed against you. But yet Christ had compassion on you. And what James is trying to tell us, since Christ was willing to have compassion on you who, who was dead in sin, who had no way to save your life, and now that Christ who saved you, who had compassion on you, who's living in you, right? Grabbing the wrong mic to put in my pocket. That Christ who saved you, who set you free, is living in you, and now you won't have compassion on someone? James is saying you might not be who you say that you are. If Christ did it for me when I'm hurting, when I'm lost, when my whole world feels like it's caving in, then why couldn't I be that physical hope for someone else in need? Why can't we be the hands and feet of Jesus when people need something? And it goes back to the opportunity. You're never gonna see the opportunity if all I'm ever doing is edging my yard, right? If all I'm ever doing is um, sweeping my floor, look for the opportunities. Let's continue real quick. So to the Levite, uh, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and uh, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And it, he just didn't leave him there. He didn't just say, I'll get you a hotel tonight. The next day, he took him out to uh, Denari, 
and gave him, uh, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. So the question was this, which of these three do you, th- um, do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the man who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise today, church, amen? There's gonna be opportunities when you leave. There's gonna be opportunities as we have spaghetti lunch. Take advantage of those. Trust God. From the head of the church, to the worker or lawman, to the run of the mill person who hated, who was hated by Jews. He was the one who was willing to serve. Last verse and then we're out of here. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Think about this week, prepare yourself and read through the rest of chapter two for next week, amen? Father, (laughs) not works, don't let us confuse that, but a heart that's born again and recreated as a new creation to love and serve you. Help us take advantage, Father, of those opportunities of action today, Father, even today, provide us those opportunities. Bless the food to our bodies, bless the fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.